Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today's episode of SFF Yeah! is sponsored in part by Book Riot's Read Harder 2020 Challenge. Book Riot's annual challenge is back. Once again, Read Harder 2020 has 24 tasks designed to help you break out of your reading bubble and expand your worldview through books. With new genres, new authors, and new points of view, the challenge will hopefully help you discover amazing books you wouldn't have otherwise picked up. Read historical fiction that's not about World War II, a retelling of a classic or fairy tale, horror from indie presses, and more in this year's challenge. Go to bookriot.com slash readharder to get the full challenge task list and to check out the prizing for those who complete the challenge with a bonus prize this year. Welcome to SFF Yeah, a podcast dedicated to all things science fiction and fantasy. This is episode 71 and we're recording on January 24th. I'm Sharifa Williams and I'm here with Jen Northington and we're coming to you from Book Riot. And today we are talking about sci-fi and fantasy poetry. And before we actually start talking about that, I wanted to give a quick shout out to everybody who's left us reviews. Thank you so much. It means so much to us. We talk about it all the time at the end of each episode, and we really do appreciate it. And we received one review, for instance, from Mamacita329, who wrote in that, I love every episode, even when the main topic isn't my jam. I love listening to the news discussions. I nearly always end up with books added to my TBR. We are basically here to break your TBR all day long uh, (laughs) (laughs) because it happens to us all the time. So Mm -hmm. we're just sharing the wealth, you know, and we're so happy that you enjoy the show and all the conversations, even if they're not your jam. It's always great to hear about something maybe you wouldn't have come across in your normal reading life. So thank you so much for writing in. That means a lot to us. Let's see. Should I talk to everyone about our first sponsor before we get into our news? Yes. Okay. I'm excited about this one because I didn't realize it was happening. Our sponsor Mm -hmm. is A Longer Fall, which is book number two of the Gunny Rose series by Charlene Harris, published by Saga Press, which is an imprint of Simon & Schuster. And this is a series that I read the first book and super enjoyed it. It's like a alternative history gunslingers with magic situation. And um, so, yeah, if you like alternative history or weird westerns, this is definitely that. And A Longer Fall is set in this world where... Franklin D. Roosevelt was assassinated and the main character, Elizabeth Rose, is a gunslinger who works in the fractured countries and territories that were once the United States of America. And it's definitely one for if you like mysteries, if you like magic, uh, and if you like speculative fiction and thrillers, all of those things. Or if you're a 
Charlene Harris fan from way back. You probably already know about it, but just in case you didn't. And I didn't realize that book, too, was out already. I'm definitely going to read it. The first book was really interesting. And the main character, Elizabeth Rose, is the kind of cranky, super annoyed at everyone (laughs) heroine that I personally love. So, again, that is A Longer Fall, book number two of Gunny Rose by Charlene Harris. Exciting. I have your copy of the first book on my shelf. Do you? You sent it to me. <laughs> I forgot. I was like, didn't I have that book? I wonder what happened to it. Now I know. Sharifa has it. Fair enough. Uh, okay, let's see. Um, oh, so I'm going to pick our first n- news story. And on a more somber note, uh, I think it is worth talking about the fact that Christopher Tolkien, who is J.R.R. Tolkien's son, has died. He was 95, and he, I first of all, condolences to the family. Um, and, you know, it's very interesting because while I know very little about him personally, he has been a huge influence on the way that Tolkien's legacy has been continued and literally on what has been published following uh, his father's death. Um, Tolkien, Christopher Tolkien is the one who gave us, you know, the Silmarillion and um, all of the books that collected this sort of world building and fragments of things that, you know, his father never quite finished putting into final form. We have those because Christopher Tolkien went through all of his father's papers and, you know, edited and and put them forward for publication. Um, He also has been heavily involved in the licensing of Mm -hmm. the story and and has like some notoriously cranky feelings about (laughs) the licensing. Uh, He was not a fan of the movies that Peter Jackson made, for example, and there have been lawsuits over use of the characters and art uh, inspired by or actually from Lord of the Rings. So he has been a huge force in the Tolkien, you know, world and scholarship for a very long time. And I think it's I think we're going to see some changes and I wonder what that will look like. I think so, too. I I mean, we have talked about Christopher Tolkien in the past, and it was usually in regards to, like, the licensing stuff mm-hmm. and things like, you know, Lord of the Rings casino machines. Yes, remember like. that? Jeez. Yeah. <laughs> yes. And so I do think that there are, I agree that there are probably some changes coming down the road. I mean, we're already, we've already seen so much happen with that. Um, mm-hmm with this property and and yeah he did not really appreciate it and they even end like when I got to the end of this um this piece on Christopher Tolkien's death I was like wow that is kind of a weird bleak note to leave it on with yeah the the Guardian (laughs) closed their piece with this uh quote that says Tolkien has become a monster devoured by his own popularity and absorbed by the absurdity of our time and that the commercialization has reduced the aesthetic and philosophical impact of the creation to nothing. That's, those are, that is a, I agree, that's a weird note to end on. But, you know, Christopher Tolkien was, like we said, very cranky about a lot of the the so ways that so. his father's work had been, you know, 
moved into the mainstream, I guess. It's, it, it is interesting. It's super interesting. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. So I think it will be, there's going to be, uh, and you know, the Amazon show has been in the works for a while and we're starting to get more details about that. And I personally wonder what else will come down the pipe going forward. I'm sure we'll see. And we will talk about it. Yeah. Many condolences to their family. Yeah. It's always sad. And I'm sure like, I mean, if I grew up with a childhood story, that was sort of my own. I can, I can understand his, um, his hold on Absolutely. those stories. So, okay. Um, speaking of fandom and yeah. holding on to some stories. We've got some news from The Watch adaptation. The Watch is, of course, the story from the Discworld series by Terry Pratchett. And we've been talking about this adaptation news as it's been coming out. And recently, some first images from the adaptation were released. And there's this piece in the Mary Sue talking about people's reactions to this first look and there is definitely like the clutch of fandom about how people have been responding we knew from you know casting that this was going to be a different sort of it's it definitely had updates in terms of representation and inclusivity and People are, are reacting to some of like the cyberpunk aesthetic and some of the modern elements that are seen in some of these first images from the adaptation. And I, I agree with the article, which kind of concludes that it's really the aesthetic of the Discworld stories was never a big thing for me. It, it never... It was never the focus for me. It was definitely the tone mm. and the philosophy behind the stories and the humor. And so the cyberpunk elements don't bother me. And I'm really relieved about the representation. But there is also the side note that there's one character, Lady Sybil Ramkin, who is supposed to be a fat character. And that character is being played by someone who is you know described as slender in this piece Lara Rossi I'm not sure if it's Laura or Lara but definitely not representing the character as described in the watch which is a book out of the Discworld series I have not read so I'm taking this um by what's being said here and what's being said around by people who have read the story so there was also a tweet from KJ Charles, the author, who is saying this, the formidable Lady Sybil Ramkin, last scion of Ankh-Morpork's Pork's nobility, who's trying to fix the city's wrongs with her chaotic vigilism. Thanks, I hate it, was the reply. And it's because of this, the characterization of Lady Sybil, where she is being cast as this skinnier character. So some mixed things. Um, I completely understand that like if you're going to try to be inclusive and try to have a really diverse cast and then you sort of have it built in that this character is not a skinny person like 
I do, I question why that choice was made. So I am on board with that criticism. The rest of it, like the general aesthetics of like the cyberpunk look, I'm kind of like shruggy pants about. (laughs) So (laughs) fair enough. Like if the story is, if it has that tone that I love so much and is so important to me about Terry Pratchett books, then I'm going to be okay with it but we'll see how it actually pans out. Did you have any thoughts about this one? Yeah, it's hard because I've only read like two, possibly three of the Discworld books. So yeah. I am I am not at all qualified to weigh in in terms of a um, expertise standpoint. And, you know, I think this, this did remind me, though, of the conversation around the early aughts adaptation of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. Mm, yeah. Which I maintain, while I have like issues with the person at like the real life personalities of some of the actors. Um, I maintain that that adaptation felt to me so true to the original spirit of the books that I didn't mind. And they made a lot of changes and I didn't mind any of them because it felt, it still felt to me like it understood what Douglas Adams had been working to accomplish and like riffed off of that. So yeah, for me often, if they can nail the tone, I'm willing to forgive a lot of, you know, messing around with the source material. But yeah, yeah. but you know, it's it's frustrating, I think, because this is a much more like racially and uh, genderly diverse cast than, you know, the original source material had. Yes. For obvious reasons. Um, but it's frustrating that we don't also get, you know, body type diversity in with that. So I, I get like you, I have a lot of uh, frustrations with, you know, Hollywood giveth and Hollywood taketh away. Like, we can have some things, but not other things. Like, why can't we have all of the things? It's very frustrating. It's very yeah. frustrating. So. It's that, like, not being able to take that one extra step. Like, it's just, ah, uh, you could have... You, you, you could have done this right. Yeah, it's like not it's not hard to 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 think about, you know, all of the different ways that you can represent the real people of the world in your casting and yet here we are. Here we are. So. <laughs> so that's um, the news. You can see the first look images if you if you want to check them out too. Yeah. So let's see. Uh, speaking of adaptations, it just feels like it's just constantly adaptation news, but that's mm-hmm. fine. Um, so often we're talking about things that like may happen or are going to happen six years from now. But I am happy to report that Snowpiercer finally has a premiere date for coming to TV. TNT has been working on a TV series based on the original graphic novel by Jacques Loeb and also based on Bong Joon-ho's uh, 2013 film adaptation, um, both of which I have, I have I've read the graphic novel and I have seen the film. And now we're going to get this TV show. It's coming out on May 31st. There's like, uh, it's this year. We're getting it. And <laughs> in case you forgot, which is totally possible because this has been in the works for forever, David Diggs is playing a main character alongside Jennifer Connelly. And there's a teaser out. And it is... There's a lot. There's a lot going on. There's so much going on in this teaser. There are very quick cuts of uh, like a billion different scene set 
in the train. I guess I should clarify what the plot of this is. If you're not familiar, Snowpiercer is based around the idea that a new ice age has come to Earth and the last of humanity are inhabitants on this like never ceasing train ride around the world. And so they can't leave the train because it's too cold. And the train itself has become very class segregated in that, you know, up closest to the front, to the engine are where, you know, all of the food and resources and luxuries are. And then as you get back to the back of the train, there's significantly fewer resources for those passengers. And so... And and so this, you know, idea of, you know, how does humanity replicate its societal structures and prejudices and what do you do with those issues when you literally can't leave the train because you'll freeze to death otherwise. <laughs> um, it, that's what the concept is playing with. And I'm jazzed to see David Diggs star in this show. I'm super curious about how they're going to take the material and run with it in new ways. I had issues with various bits of the original material and the film, and I'm curious to see how they tackle those. So I like I'm very ready to watch an actual full episode of this. What about you? What do you think? I'm really excited about it, too. I mean, I've had a mega crush on Jennifer Connelly since the beginning of time, so I will literally watch anything <laughs> she's in. Fair. And David Diggs is, of course, fantastic as well. So I was mostly excited about that. I've watched the movie. Um, I have not read the graphic novel. So I do want to read that. And I assume it's probably a fairly quick read. Uh, yeah. But I think that the the concept, like the whole premise is really interesting. And I was also like, there was a lot, like I my eyes were huge while I was watching this trailer. And also there's like... Willy Wonka was that the Willy Wonka oh, yeah. music? It's, there's a that's right. There's a cover of the Willy Wonka song, you know, the "Come with Me and You'll See," uh, "Pure Imagination," etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. It's sing very, it, Jen. It's, I'm not going to sing it. I'm not going to subject you all to that. It's very creepy and weird, which is know. you know correct for the tone of the source material, but yeah, interesting. They're making yeah. interesting choices for sure. Yes, that is a good way of putting it. So I'm probably going to check this out. I don't know if I have uh, access to TNT. but I don't either, know. actually, come to think of it. I'm sure there's going to be a way. There's always, somehow it always ends up on something I it's have. It's true. So we'll see about that. More adaptation news. But I'm comboing these because they're really brief. There's, like, not a ton to say about them yet. For instance... This is very exciting, even though there's not a lot to say about it. Nettie Okorafor is going to co-write the script for Binti, which is going to be adapted at Hulu, which seems to be taking a lot of the great science fiction stories and turning them into something. So this is definitely still in the early stages. uh, Hulu's basically just handed out a script order for this adaptation of the novella, and there isn't that much more to say about it, but I'm just like, you know, Muppet arms about anything happening with Binti and to see that there's progress on this because it was only a matter of time before something by Nettie Okorafor was adapted. And we've had some news 
also, I can't remember which uh, book was had some adaptation news, but you know, sometimes yeah. that happens and you never hear about it again. Mm-hmm. So developments are always very, very exciting. And also in the realm of developments, this one's actually a pretty big one that there's a trailer finally for The Ghost Bride. And the first, the the reason I first heard about it was because I got a text from my mom very excitedly telling me, have you seen it? Have you seen the trailer? So I, I had to, uh, I had to go immediately watch it and it looks really cool. I love anything that has super creepy elements and it definitely seems like they're leaning on, on the horror paranormal elements. And if you If you read the book, you know that some of the descriptions were very eerie and like, I do not want to be here, but also I am enjoying being creeped out. So you you should definitely check out the trailer. It's pretty, it's pretty lengthy and um, you should definitely read the book, of course, if you haven't already. Yeah, the trailer is very compelling, I will say. I haven't mm-hmm. read the book, but I am aware of it and was curious about this. And this is more good news. This is on Netflix and it's out as of January 23rd. Right. So by the time this airs, you can watch it. That's so exciting. Hopefully I'll have watched it already. I need something new to watch anyway. And a ghost story will always pull me in. Yeah. The, the special effects look very cool. I know they actually have, like, I was wondering how they would do some of the stuff, but it looks like they actually have, like, full-on costumes for mm-hmm. some of the the creatures that are in this underworld. So I, I'm glad they're, like, going right into it. They're not, like, trying to skimp on some of the the creepier aesthetics, so... Yeah, and it's cool to see the Netflix international properties growing in this direction, I will also say. I've been super happy with their international sci-fi fantasy offerings, and it's nice to have another one. I know. I just got done watching all of what they offered of one of their Korean series. Ooh. (laughs) Not science fiction and fantasy. It is very, like, humorous, (laughs) 20-somethings, millennials eating a lot and (laughs) oh wait is that the house one it's uh it's um let's eat is the one i was okay this is a different one so if you like food there is nothing paranormal even about it unfortunately but i I do like food though oh my goodness you have to watch it's so funny and ridiculous excellent okay that's that for me (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so before we get started talking about our poetry picks, I'm going to tell you about our sponsor, which is Obsidian Detective by Michael Anderley, coming from LMBPN Publishing. Two rebels whose worlds collide on a planetary level. On the fringes of human space, a murder will light a fuse and send two different people colliding together. She lives on Earth, where peace among the population is a given, He's on the fringe of society where authority is how much firepower you wield. She's from the powerful, the elite. He's with the military. Both want the truth, but is revealing the truth good for society. Two years ago, a small moon in a far-off system was set to be the location of the first intergalactic war between humans and an alien race. It never happened. However, something was found many are willing to kill to keep a secret. Now they've killed the wrong people. How many will need to die to keep the truth hidden? 
as many as is needed. That's again Obsidian Detective by Michael Anderley. Thanks for sponsoring today's episode. All right, poetry. Yeah. Wait, before we get into this, how much Mm -hmm. poetry do you read in your daily life? Not a lot, truth be told. Not a lot at all. Yeah, I am in the same boat and have been, I last year sort of embarked on a mission to get more into my life and was having zero luck with collections, but I signed up for a couple of things that deliver a poem into my inbox daily, and that has been awesome, I will say. That's a really good idea. Yeah, I am, it turns out poetry collections just make me feel crazy for whatever reason. (laughs) I don't know why I can't handle them. I don't know how to read them. It just feels really intimidating but like one poem a day selected by somebody who is you know well versed in it turns out to be super great um i'll leave links in the show notes for the two that i'm signed up for they are not sci-fi fantasy though but i remember when i'm gonna leave a link to the show notes in here but there's we have a post from last year on speculative poetry and i remember when that post went up i was like wait that's a thing (laughs) i know Same, same. And that's something I felt like I should know, Mm -hmm. but I did not because I am not that much in the world of poetry either. But it's one of those things for me, I've definitely like, I had the same sort of impulse. I wanted to read more poetry, but it's just one of those things that gets away from me every time. So I'm actually glad we're doing this today because it gave me an opportunity to explore a little. Yeah. Um, So speaking of which, I got a chance to finally read what is my first pick, my science fiction pick, which has been on my list and was on this speculative poetry list we posted on the site that'll be in the show notes. So it's Life on Mars by Tracy K. Smith. This is the first collection I have read in a long time, just full on Tracy K. Smith poetry. And I was completely jazzed. This is, of course, a David Bowie reference, this title. And once I saw that, and once I heard that it has science fiction elements, I was completely sold. (laughs) And I wasn't disappointed. I literally just finished reading it um, a day ago. So Tracy Smith, Tracy K. Smith is this incredibly accomplished poet. She's written a handful of poetry collections. She's won numerous prizes for them, including, you know, the little old Pulitzer And it just so happens that this collection is the one that won her the Pulitzer Prize for Poetry. She's also served, oh my goodness, how many P's am I going to say? She's also served as a a U.S. Poet Laureate from 2017 to 2019. So again, really, really accomplished. And this collection was my introduction to her. I, I did expect greatness, which is not a thing I try to do going Mm. into anything that's new to me because I don't want to set high expectations. And, you know, if it's less than incredible, be disappointed. And considering her accolades, I had a lot of expectations I just could not avoid. But really, these poems did not disappoint. They left me in a complete state of awe. And the collection, I should say, isn't entirely science fictional, which is why I'm pointing specifically to the poem uh, titled My God, It's Full of Stars, which you can read actually in full online at the Poetry Foundation website, which will be linked in the show notes as well. 
So this poem specifically has five parts and it covers a lot. It explores a higher purpose or calling and the great mystery of space and what might be out there, whether we're alone in the world. And it incorporates pop culture as well. It imagines this conversation with Charlton Heston, which <laughs> is very unexpected to me. <laughs> this would even Charlton Heston would be present in this uh, collection. And also it considered Stanley Kubrick's 2001. So it's got those, you know, pop culture sci-fi elements. And it also invites us into the into life with her father, who was an engineer who worked on the Hubble telescope, which is not something I knew about until I read these poems. And it also covers a certain time in America's history. This is one poem, a very brief <laughs> poem. And there's just so much going on here and this is kind of how her poems are there's so much to unpack and that's really the magic and the power of this collection so i've been doing a lot of backlist reading on audiobook and i think this is one of the things that kind of helped me if like we were talking about getting through collections and mm. how difficult it can be and i actually found it really helpful to listen to this one on audiobook and maybe it's also because Tracy Smith reads it. She's the narrator. So it was her voice telling her poems. And I I found it really inviting and welcoming and a lot less intimidating to read it in this format. She's a fabulous narrator. That's not something you can always say about the author narrating their own works, but it definitely works here. And I'm still going to pick up a physical copy of this book because I do want to be able to look at them individually one by one because there's just so much, so much to unpack in every single one of these. And you come out of this, or at least I did, I came out of reading these poems with this huge sense of wonder and all of these questions about the world and it goes into other poems that talk about grieving and what the underworld might look like considering her father's death and about dark matter and the terrible crimes we commit against each other. And of course, about David Bowie, there is specifically a poem about David Bowie. So don't miss that one. And I just loved it. I loved it so much. And again, I've been talking about Life on Mars by Tracy K. Smith. So a question Mm -hmm. So when you were listening to it, like how long would you listen to it for? Like how many poems? I was listening. I think I listened to the whole thing, which is about an hour and 30 to 45 minutes. I mm. listened to it in three goes about okay. equally. So I probably listened to around four poems, four or so poems every time. That seems very reasonable. Yeah, it was definitely the weirdness of it was that sometimes I would not necessarily know when one poem ended oh. and another began, which made for some interesting like, wait, sometimes I had to rewind, but not that often because I was just the the poems in this particular collection are so cohesive and mm. they have so much thematic similarities that I wasn't bothered by not necessarily knowing when one poem ended and another began. 
But I guess everybody's experience is going to be different. As sure, well. sure. No, that's so interesting, though. Um, related, Tracy K. Smith has a podcast called The Slowdown. Yes. Yes, which is one of the things there is there's an email newsletter to it as well, which is one of the things that sends me a daily poem. And she on the podcast, she picks one poem each day by somebody other than her uh, to discuss and then read. And it's so good. She is she is she has an incredible voice. And I highly recommend it. And even if like, I don't always listen to them, but I love getting the newsletters that I can read it in my own time, you know? Uh, So yeah, I I found a lot of great stuff through that. We'll leave a link to that in the show notes. Okay. So my first, well, so my sci-fi, I picked two poems because I didn't read a collection because as I said before, collections for whatever reason, make my brain go haywire. And so I went just sort of spelunking around the internet. (laughs) Um, And the thing that I discovered is that pretty much every sci-fi fantasy journal that exists, of which there are so many, and many of which you can read for free online, do a poetry section. So there's like Strange Horizons has one, uh, Apex has one, like Faya has them. So there's just like a wealth of poetry out there for you, not in collections, just in, you know, poems published by uh, the the magazines and and lit mags that do speculative works. So the first sci-fi poem I want to talk about is by Millie Ho. It was printed in Strange Horizons current issue, the January 2020 issue, and it's called 3D Printed Brother, which is just <laughs> an amazing title. And that is what it is. It's about it's a young woman thinking back to her 3D printed brother and to the summer that, you know, she lost this brother and it is it is just basically a short story but in poem form about a world in which you might have a sibling that came from a 3d printer and like what it's like to interact with that sibling and what it's like when you know that sibling falls ill like what does that look like and what is this world where that kind of technology is you know commonplace enough that it's not remarkable per se that really this piece is more about the feelings of having had a sibling and losing that sibling more than it's about the fact that this brother was also 3d printed uh but also the interactions that the narrator has with her brother i love this one section uh that goes good times that summer saturday morning cartoons on our dying tv how I spun you in the dryer and you came out all pixelated. Like, I just, <laughs> I love that image so much. That's and amazing. the nostalgia that this poem evokes is such an interesting pairing with this, you know, sort of futuristic technology. Like, you're nostalgic for something that doesn't exist in our world yet, which is a little bit of emotional dissonance that I personally love. Uh, so, yeah, I super loved this poem. You can read it for free online. And uh, we will like, leave a link to that in the show notes. And I'm going to be seeking out more of Millie Ho's works for sure. 
And then, like I mentioned, I so I'm a subscriber to Faya Magazine, uh, which is edited by uh, former Book Riot contributors, actually, yeah. which is super awesome. And in issue 11, there is an amazing poem called OGEJ or Cola Journey by Uche Ogbuji. Apologies for any mispronunciations there. Um, and I am obsessed with this poem because it imagines a future in which trees are spaceships, uh, specifically wow. the cola tree, right? Amazing. And it is about, uh, you know, basically astronauts who are on these ships and coming in and out of, you know, sleep, as it were, uh, suspended animation, interacting with each other, interacting with the tree. And it is so cool and so interesting. And I just want so much more of this world. This blending of the organic and the technological is 100% inside my wheelhouse. And I am so delighted to having for having like found this poem having been published for me to you know read and now think about just forever i'm going to be thinking about this poem forever because i love the world that it creates and evokes and also the ways in which the author brings uh, his own experience and culture to it. Oh, it's just like it's Afrofuturist in a way. Well, though, I guess I don't know if the author would identify with that label, but he is from Nigeria and there is a lot of African culture and African language in this poem. And it's just, oh, it's so good. I love it so much. So again, that's Kola Journey by Uche Ogbuji, uh, which was in Faya issue number 11. No lies. I literally, when I was younger, wanted to live in a baobab tree. Oh, yeah. Because I heard about people doing that. And so when you said trees that are spaceships, I was like, <laughs> how do I sign up for this? Yeah. Because <laughs> <laughs> that sounds like my, my dream come true. It's the ultimate space nerd tree house, right? Like it is. it's just and also not for nothing. It, it, that was always one of my favorite things about the comic saga is that their spaceship is oh, a yes. tree. So good. But there's just not enough. There's not enough space trees, Sharifa. In I the agree. World. We need more of them. More space trees. Please. Okay. Science fiction writers make yeah. it happen. Get on it. it here first. <laughs> <laughs> well, I took inspiration from you finding poems that are available online and I also chose one that is not part of a collection I think uh, but I found it basically at Apex magazine that's where it was published and it's Turning the Leaves by Amal El Motar which was published back in 2013 so this is like some backlist poetry which is something I always love anyway and if you recognize the name Amal Motar. Uh, she's the author of a science fiction book that just came out. And I knew I recognized the name, but I, I was literally stumbling around the internet when I was trying to find a fantasy poem and saw this. So the book that recently came out by Amal is This Is How You Lose the Time War. And it came out last summer. I've been hearing so many great things about it. It was co-written with Max Gladstone. And it's about time-traveling spies and features a queer love story. 
and it sounds like it has the lyricism that you might expect from a poet. So now that I've read this poem, I am definitely going to check out that book. So I, when I actually came across Turning the Leaves, I was looking up speculative poetry awards just because that's kind of an easy way for me to find some new, um, some new things, especially in areas where I don't have a lot of experience or reading experience like speculative poetry. And this one won the Riesling Award for Best Short Poem. And the reason I was immediately attracted to it because I had at this point gone through a few poems trying to find out, you know, trying to figure out which one I like best. And it was because it, it at first glance reminded me of Goblin Market by Christina Rossetti, mm. which is another great and classic fantasy poem and one of my favorites as a child that, you know, filled with ennui and all sorts of goth sentiments. Christina <laughs> Rossetti and Edgar Allan Poe were like basically the only poetry I read. So anytime I get those old feelings of, ooh, this reminds me of something I read when I was younger, I, I was completely taken away by this very short poem. There's a reason it won in the best short poem category. It is very, very brief, but it's so filled with moody atmosphere. And it just so happens that Amal El-Motar is the editor or was the editor of a quarterly called Goblin Fruit. So I feel like I was kind of on point with mm -hmm. my initial judgment. <laughs> and it was this online quarterly that was dedicated to fantastical poetry, which is unfortunately on an indefinite hiatus. But you can still read the archive, which spans from 2006 to 2016. So it had a really long run. And Turning the Leaves specifically has that feel of a classic poem that spins the natural world into something more mythical and mystical. And it has that familiar fairy tale or mythological tone. And it's basically about the changing season. And it has, it has like I said, so much atmosphere. It's like a spell you might read in like Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, oh. except without five pages of footnotes to go with it. <laughs> so there's that. <laughs> no shade, no shade. I'm just saying, you know, we've all seen what that looks like. But yeah, I gravitated to this poem immediately. And the language she uses was just so beautiful. And so like you can tell thought went into every single word, which you know, has to happen for a good, very brief poem because you have to fit so much into such a small space and you have to evoke certain feelings. So I'm sure that if I'd come across that Goblin Fruit Poetry site when it started in 2006, I would have been like, today I have become a poet. And now my <laughs> only, the only purpose in life I have is to submit a poem to Goblin Fruit Poetry and live my best gothy dark life. <laughs> So you should definitely check it out. You can literally read this poem in like 60 seconds. It's just wonderful. And if it's a particularly windy or overcast day, I would recommend it for that. And again, I've been talking about Turning the Leaves by Amal El-Motar. I'm kind of sad that that like that alternative Sharifa who wrote 
Gothy fantasy poetry <laughs> didn't get to exist. You never know when she'll come back. It's true. I was going to say, it's not too late. You can't submit to Goblin Fruit, but there's plenty of other places you could submit to. So This is true. It's not too late, Sharifa. Okay. <laughs> so my fantasy picks, I have two again, um, because again, I did not pick a collection. Uh, so the, my first is called The Dissolution of Icarus or Julia Child's favorite roast chicken recipe. Oh my goodness. By Michelle Munzler. And listen, talk about moody atmosphere. This is amazing. So this is found poetry. And what found poetry is, I spent like five minutes trying to Google, first of all, what this is called and make sure I was describing it correctly. So Mm -hmm. found poetry is when you take some other, you know, text, in this case, a recipe, and you edit it in this case the author bolded certain words but you can do it with like formatting or you know striking things out or whatever but you edit that text to create something new while still having the original text there so Michelle Munzler took Julia Child's favorite roast chicken recipe and turned it into a super moody meditation on Icarus and it's so cool. <laughs> and it took me like a minute to understand what was happening. <laughs> and I was like, why am I reading about chicken? This is not about Icarus. <laughs> but then I, when I figured it out, I was like, oh, this is genius. I love it so much. And it's very, I don't even know. I mean, half of it is the fun of these two layers of things, you know, sort of laid on top of each other. And then, and then I keep going back and rereading the poem within the recipe and like just, yeah, moody atmosphere is exactly right. It's kind of dark. It's very visual and it's weird too, because you'll get these flashes of other words mixed in with when you're trying to find just the words to the poem. So it's really interesting. It's a really interesting exercise and a really cool use of this form and I just like even if I had just read the poem without the recipe I think I would still love it but the two together make something that's really fascinating and interesting and a really cool reworking of something and I feel like if that's not speculative fiction, like what is, right? To take something and transmute it through the alchemy of language into something different. It's so cool. It's just so cool. Also, bonus, the actual recipe is the recipe. Like you could make this chicken. (laughs) (gasps) This just gets better and better. It does. It does get better and better. It's very great. So uh, that was published on Liminality Poetry, and I will leave a link in the show notes. And again, that's The Dissolution of Icarus by Michelle Munzler. And then my second fantasy poem is actually a little bit of a ghost story. It's from Faya issue number 10, which was the hair issue for the record. And this is called Unbraided Clean by Therese Mason Pierre. And it is about a woman who is pregnant and she's visiting her mother's grave. And then the ghost of her mother, like comes to do her hair like it's actually it's a really sweet lovely meditation on 
connecting with those that we've lost and the traditions of a family and then generations and how those generations interact with each other and then also natural hair. I mean, it's and it's so sensory. Like she's talking about the food that she brings with her um, to the grave. And then she's talking about the way the sky looks and the way that her body feels and the way it feels when her mother, you know, her mother's ghost touches her hair and the memories that that brings up for her of being a little girl and the smell of the coconut oil. And oh my gosh, it's so lush and so sensory. And it's just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful on so many levels. And I love how there's, you know, she takes this ghost story idea and then makes it just so sweet. And there's nothing creepy about this poem. It's it's just so full of beautiful emotion. Ugh, I, anyway, I'm getting inarticulate about it now. So I'll stop gushing just to say that, you know, you should all go out and get a FIA subscription so you can read these too. Um, but yeah, that was Unbraided Clean by Therese Mason Pierre. And that's it for our show. But before I say goodbye, I did want to give a shout out to rioter Annika who recently published a speculative poem uh, poem in Fireside Fiction. So I'll include a link in the show notes for that as well. You should definitely check it out. It is fantastic. It is. And congratulations. Yes. And thank you so much for listening. You can email us, as as usual, at sffyeah at bookriot.com. And please do review us on Apple Podcasts. Again, we love you for it. It helps people find us. You can find us online. Uh, Where are you, Jen? I'm on Twitter as Jen IRL, Jen with two N's, IRL. And I'm on Instagram as I am Jen IRL. And you can find me on Instagram at Williams. That's S-Z-A-I-N-A-B Williams. Thanks so much for listening. Bye.